Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail and as always today I'm joined by... Brendan Morrison and we're back again Adam to talk about some very exciting news. Um, usually we make these series as we think about the most like kind of obtuse random game to go in with, something that probably isn't that relevant just because it's like the audience that we have. Um, but when we chose this game, I didn't think we would be able to pair it up with some recent news that's also broken, and it's it's fairly exciting to say the least. This is um, almost a copy of the Escudo situation all over again. <laughs> yep. When we did the, the best cars and racing games bracket or whatever, and then the Escudo won, and yep. then the Escudo ended up coming into Gran Turismo. I mean, that was cool, but this is like... This is just, this Daytona news um, is just something that I never in a million years expected. I think I wanted to believe it, but just 25 years has passed since this game came out. And uh, to give some background here, so we're not speaking as cryptically, <laughs> uh, it really does seem like we're recording this like a day after the news seemed to break out of Japan, and it really does seem that Daytona USA 2 is going to be released on consoles uh, for the first time ever, uh, it, funnily enough, not like as a standalone game, but actually in the new Yakuza game, the Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, which is just about like no video game title has ever gone as hard as that <laughs> one. Uh, so it fits that they yeah. will have Daytona USA 2 as well. And um, God, Brent, I mean, yeah, you never thought you'd see it happen, did you? No, not at all. Um, I think as well, purely because the um, if you go by the article that came out, like obviously, um, I think it was posted in our Discord, and then you kind of picked up on Adam and kind of tagged me in it at the time. And the kind of the initial details seemed to be like a fairly, fairly cryptic, generic looking description of some mini games that were going to be in, or rather, arcade titles that were going to be in the game. And it's something that could be kind of technically easily faked, but the, the kind of the giveaway that this looked as if it was legitimate was the fact that it's known as Sega Racing Classic 2, isn't it? Or Sega Classic Racing 2? Yeah, Sega uh, Racing Classic Sega 2. Sega Racing yeah. Classic 2, yeah, which, like, if somebody was going to go out of their way to kind of forge that type of news, it'd be a fairly impressive kind of attention to detail to reference that kind of release of the first game um, that was on PlayStation 3 and stuff as well, so... Um, yeah, I remember seeing it at the time, and I was like, you know what, that'd be fantastic, holy fuck, is that real? And then uh, we actually seen scans from the magazine itself, which the, the kind of the website, I think, was kind of linked to, from, from what I could make out. Uh, the Japanese isn't fantastic, sadly, but um, the, the crucial part was the references to that game, and the description of the game, and uh, yeah, a, a little Google Translate, Lens Translate later, and... We have all the evidence we need. Daytona 2 is back. The heat is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, there have been rumblings over, you know, the last couple of years, maybe the last decade or so. Games like Daytona, games like Ridge Racer, they're going to come back, or that, you know, it's somebody's working on something, or we went through the whole Ridge Racer 8 thing, and it's like, there may have been some truth to that. I mean, we know there was some truth in the Ridge Racer 8 discussion, and who knows, there may have been some some work to bring at least like the original Daytona to like modern platforms or something like that over the last couple of years. But I feel like those things end up being kind of either debunked or like, you know, kind of become clear that they're canceled, right? Or they yeah. just didn't end up happening. We tend to know that I feel like pretty early on and it's like, all right, well, this was exciting, but it's not going to happen. Um, but this, uh, I, I don't know this particular person uh, in Japan, obviously, but they spotted, uh, or through their sources, had an early version of the Next Famitsu magazine, yeah. um, or access to it, and that's how they were able to confirm it. So in addition to Daytona USA 2, uh, Fighting Vipers 2, which if you're a fighting game fan, especially a Sega fighting game fan, that's tremendous news. We never even got Fighting Vipers 2 on the Dreamcast in the U.S., yeah. That was just the Japan and the Europe release, so, uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. And I know, like, it's funny, there's, I'm seeing a lot of people say things like, 
oh, but they won't release it standalone, or like, it's, I really have to spend $60 to get this game, and it doesn't make sense, right? Like, you could, like, we, we can all sit here and objectively agree it does not make sense to put work into making a game like this playable again on modern consoles and not selling it standalone. Um, unless, you know, if you want to look at it from the perspective of, like, okay, they put in Yakuza, say it gets people to spend $60 on the game, it, if they really want Daytona, and then maybe in a couple months they, they re-release Daytona standalone. But, like, there's no indication that's going to happen. At, at this point, it's been 25 years. I think you just gotta be happy it's happening at all. Yeah, th I mean, this is like honest. a... A much-needed shot in the arm for seemingly impossible ports on the racing game side of things. How often have we tried to break down that topic, Adam, like in, in so many episodes? Um, it did not seem as if this is something that would ever happen. The fact that it's in Yakuza of all places is very suiting for that series, given its quirkiness and stuff. It definitely feels like a let's throw Daytona 2 in there. The amount of effort that goes into doing something like that, because I think for all intents and purposes, if we were getting any new Daytona-type content, it seemed like it was going to be some sort of Switch release of Championship USA. It seemed to be the kind of the most prominent murmurs, which kind of slowly faded away into obscurity. I think this is the best possible outcome in the strangest possible package. But to be <laughs> honest, I would pay that price for a port on modern consoles anyway, and you right. get a fantastic game to boot, so... Uh, our man Kiryu, the man with no name, he's uh, he's brought the goods when it comes to, to this one and it's going to be really odd to me actually being able to play this game again because unless you had like a local arcade where it was kind of easily playable for you or you had kind of ready access to a cab and stuff, it's not really a game that most people will have been able to kind of get in depth on and actually play it in an officially licensed kind of way via Sega. So. For me, I'm really excited because I've played this game a few times my entire life on a cab and obviously there are other options now as well, if you know how to, to kind of set that up. But for me, this is like a, a huge bit of news because it shows that maybe that generation of racing game where kind of the licensing issues are there or or just the means of actually allowing it to be played were a bit more difficult, that we could see more of this type of thing. But let, let's not get ahead of ourselves thinking that way, or getting annoyed the fact that it's packaged as part of Yakuza. Like, this is this is a big win. It's an acknowledgement from Sega that this is the type of thing that will get people excited, which is arguably the biggest bit of news here, I think. Or the, the most important part of this news. Um, yeah. I, I don't think for a second that anybody's seen this coming, let alone in the week that we're going to later talk about Daytona 2001. Yeah, I mean, the reaction to this has been really great to see. And and I know it's like, you know, the most vocal part of a, of a niche, you know, online. Yeah. But so many people, just us tweeting about it, um, or... I'm seeing now like stories from like various, you know, kind of smaller gaming websites and that might not seem like much, but like I don't recall them writing about like Motor Raid being in Judgment or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like Daytona USA, I think it it has this weird ability like, okay, not everyone today knows about that game, but maybe they've heard, you know, they've heard the song and the meme or something like that, right? Or it's just like, yeah. it's, yeah. or they've been to an arcade. I mean, chances are someone in their life has been to an arcade and seen that game, at least if they live in the US, because, you know, the first Daytona was massive here. So, um, yeah, this is, this is amazing news. I am so happy. I cannot wait. Uh, I am gonna, I don't pre-order games, I'm probably going to pre-order this one just be, for the only reason that, like, in the US they're not doing a physical release, so I might get it shipped from somewhere else, but, um, yeah, just incredible. And on top of all of that, we were planning to record today, before any of this happened, yeah. we had been planning to record for weeks, uh, on Daytona USA 2001, that was the... Uh, nature of this show and it's still going to be the nature of most of the rest of this show um we'll talk about the new forts at the very end but we're gonna leave that for the end um <laughs> lots to cover but uh yeah it just it always ends up happening not always but it, it's happened a lot lately that we're going to talk about something that we just 
believe is completely dormant. And then as we're going to record the episode, there's movement, there's signs of life. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird power that I'm finding that we have, Brent. Yeah, I think the Daytona Seagull summoning circle that we posted quite a few times on Twitter <laughs> finally worked. That's right, yeah. Uh, so that's, um, that's right. <laughs> and that's why we don't post that often anymore, because, like, that's why we don't do these episodes, because, like, if we, you know, we only post an episode when we're bringing a racing game back from the dead. That's yeah. How it works, so, yeah. The only one we're still waiting on in recent times, that's Burnout, but um, we'll, let, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll let you cook. We'll let you cook with that, but... Yeah, fantastic right. news this, because, I mean, it's the fact it's Daytona 2. Like, they could easily have thrown the first Daytona in there, which would have been a cool little extra, like, just to have in this game. But they went out of their way to do Daytona 2, so it's like, it's a, it's a bit of effort required to actually bring it, and I'll be honest, I've been critical of Sega quite recently about maybe not putting in that type of effort into this sort of IP, and it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah and not only did they put in the effort to just make the game playable on modern hardware they had to edit the rom and i'm sure yeah. it's a matter of like let's replace the daytona logo in like the the attract mode or whatever but still that's work that's work that somebody has to do somebody had to make the fucking sega racing classic 2 logo like i know these are minor things but like You'd be surprised how much like things don't happen just because it requires a little bit of effort and they have to sell the suits on it. You know, I'm sure I'm sure there's an endless amount of people who have worked at Sega over the years who have wanted these games to come out again or wanted those franchises to continue, but it's all about the business proposition and for whatever reason, uh definitely, you know, for better or worse, but for better in this case, uh the Ryuga Gotoko studio, the Yakuza studio, um that Toshiro Nagoshi is now left behind. They're yeah, able to just yeah. kind of keep doing what they want and keep honoring their past, and that's just that's the coolest thing. So. I think that's the thing that really surprises me about the news. The main man has left the studio now, and of anybody you would think would be likely to bring something like the Tona Two back specifically, you'd imagine it would have been him. So it's um, yeah, it, it's 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 just very very cool to see that. And it makes you wonder what else could potentially pop up. But like I said, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because this is a crumb. <laughs> this is a crumb we'll absolutely take, and everybody will love jumping back into that game again. Uh, maybe there is a re an actual full release later down the line. It just depends if they think it's even worth that extra amount of effort again. And um, look, yeah. making the noise is like how that release happens. So like yeah. if. If you're excited about it, you know, if we're all excited about it, we keep doing that. Uh, we keep shouting from the rooftops, and that's that's the only way that you can prove to these people who make business decisions that, like, there's there's a reason to do it. Yeah, because, I mean, you put that tweet out on your personal account, Adam, and, and 1.4k likes and that sort of thing. It's all... <laughs> it's nuts. Th th there, is, there is hype around this. There are people excited about it, so don't let them forget it. Like... Don't be under any illusion that Sega are just going to know that people want this. Um, totally different series and stuff, but like seeing comments the other week from Sega talking about how they don't believe pixel art was the way forward for like, 2D Sonic and stuff after <laughs> Mania was such a success. Business heads always have what they believe to be the, the right calls and the, the right direction to take things, but if, you, if, if as fans we can kind of make it clear that when you're uploading screenshots and videos of, of like this game, Throw Daytona 2 in there, no, I mean, just get 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 that appearing on their metrics and you never know. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, uh, we should just go into the, the Daytona USA 2001 discussion. Yeah.
it's great that we're talking about this one specifically because it Daytona 2 is such a huge part of the conversation around this game and I think yep. that maybe now that Daytona USA 2 will become a little bit more accessible maybe people can start kind of respecting this one a little bit more I mean you know for the people that remember or were around at the time or cared that's obviously you know not that many these days but um talking about Daytona on this show was kind of a hard thing for me because we never really have and that's just because like where do you begin like it's almost yeah. like you have to do like you would do like a Ridge Racer style episode like we did back in the day where we ranked them all <laughs> but it's pretty yeah. clear like which Daytona is everyone's favorite it's the one that's about to come out <laughs> probably <laughs> um so you know I, I wrote a story a while back about like how the original Daytona USA kind of came to be and Sega's partnerships and everything in that development effort. I'm really proud of there's, you know, we all have an experience with that game in some way. Uh, I think kind of where to start this one is just that after the first game came out, you know, this, this was a time period in like the mid to early 90s with the Saturn going into the Dreamcast where, like, you couldn't... There was just no way to realize that, like, arcade experience on a console. Yeah. I mean, even divorced from the fact that, like, you you didn't have a steering wheel or anything of that nature, uh, the tech just wasn't going to do it. And that's why you had Daytona USA 1 running at, like, 20 frames per second, and then the Championship Circuit Edition. It looked good, but the handling was bad, and it just seemed like we would never get a good Daytona experience at home... Yeah, and we honestly really didn't get one until the the Xbox Live PS3 port in 2011. Uh, but then Daytona USA 2 comes out in '98, and everybody's really excited that that's going to come out on Dreamcast. It makes so much sense. The Dreamcast was getting a couple of Model 3 ports, uh, and then it, it Sega just decided not to do that, and I don't know why. I haven't been able to kind of find out any information why. Um, my assumption on this is just that, like, they were working with Genki a lot uh, for various Dreamcast games on the yeah. Virtua Fighter port. Uh, Genki, obviously, they did Tokyo Extreme Racer. Um, so they knew the hardware pretty well. They had an engine. Sega was probably busy with a number of other things. Um, you know, if we're talking about, like, 99 going into 2000, midway through 2000, 2000 they probably see the writing on the wall that, like, the Dreamcast isn't going to be our future. And, you know, they start saying, like, okay, who, what partnerships do we have? Who who do we have that can take this project for us and do a lot of heavy lifting or we could use their technology? So um, that's my guess anyway. So Sega yeah. Amusement Vision, which was Nagoshi Studio, who designed the original Daytona USA, um, with Yu Suzuki uh, and AM2, uh, they partner with Genki to make Daytona USA 2001, which if you're looking at it, like if you don't know Daytona USA 2 very well, it looks like a similar game. Like the graphics stepped up 60 frames per second, um, definitely looks like a next generation experience, but in practice, it is such a weird game. It's just a weird game and not even a bad one. And we'll get into that, but like, Brend, I just want to know, as someone who like never played it before until we started like looking into it for this episode, like, yeah. how did it strike you? Because it's just so weird. So the very first thing that, that strikes me, as silly as it sounds, is the lack of the Daytona USA melody, like in the demo mode. <laughs> but the, yeah. the replacement's actually really catchy anyway. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, you you'd already kind of given me a, a fair bit of warning about this title. Maybe warning isn't the right word about kind of the it's not going to be what you expect immediately from like a gameplay perspective in terms of how the cars handle, especially specific cars on that as well. Um, the game has obviously multiple choices with regards to that, and then even on the internet, you always see in comments of YouTube sections and stuff. It's like a bit of a controversial game off the bat because some people think it handles fine. Others think it's unplayable, and then there's always a bit of discussion as well around like is emulation the be the best way to experience this game, or is it on native hardware? And for for once, it seems like emulation seems to be the better call for reasons we'll get into in terms of the control options and stuff later on. Um, 
But yeah, like, my very initial impressions from playing this game is somebody who's absolutely terrible at Daytona, I feel as if I should restate that <laughs> if you're not clued up on TX lore, I'm fucking crap at it. Um, I found the game, like, really, really sensitive uh, to play in terms of actually trying to, to even make it around 3.7 Speedway. Um, I thought I was playing the game wrong, but it seemed to me as if I was either just really bad at it or there was a genuine issue with like the dead zone or something maybe um, with the controls because I just couldn't get any nuance at all. It almost felt as if I was playing like D-pad digital like type kind of car movements which would typically suit me but not really mm. in this game. Um, but yeah, the kind of my initial thoughts were it kind of feels like Daytona USA as described by an alien who got told about it from somebody else. There's like a, a semblance <laughs> of that like drifting mechanic that once you get good at the game you can get used to. But actually trying to tap into it, it feels like it's it's like not really that possible and I know that can be a skill issue. Um, but initial thoughts, and once again stressing because you asked the question Adam, like initial thoughts that's the way I felt about the game before I tweaked a few things and, and maybe kind of almost fixed up a bit to what I was more used to. but. Right off the bat, it left a bit of a strange impression. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the day when I played this game for the first time. Uh, and I, at the time, was a child, and I wasn't any good at these games. But even to me, I was like, I can't drive straight. You know, it just... The analog stick steering is so sensitive. And the good thing about the US release, and I'm going to assume the PAL release as well, maybe you can, I guess you didn't play that one, but yeah. I don't know if anybody played the PAL one. Uh, the, good, the good news about the releases after the Japanese one were that they added an analog sensitivity slider that was yeah. not in the Japanese release. So you were stuck with whatever you had, um, basically with that initial release which I can imagine is just, you know, a very frustrating experience because you have the parts of a lot of a good game, but you're just missing that core element, which is the ability to get around the track. In the North American one, you know, we had the sensitivity slider and years and years and years later after this game came out, you know, at this point I'm a teenager or I'm in my early 20s or something and I revisited it and I, I messed around with that and I found the game to be pretty playable. Like, I just... I I didn't love it out of the gate. I think it still took some getting used to. Yeah. But what's interesting is that if you go back and you play, like, the PS3 or the 364 of the original Daytona, and then you play Daytona 2001, and maybe you, like, tweak the analog sensitivity. I think the default is a 10. You bring it down to, like, a 6 or a 5 or a 4, or even lower if you have to. Those games actually handle pretty similarly. They really are not that different. Um, where Daytona 2001 gets into some weirdness is with the car choice. Because unlike any other Daytona game, I mean, Daytona 2, the cars handle differently. But like the cars in 2001 handle, they have vastly different behaviors. <laughs> it's yeah. like the standard Hornet, that's pretty balanced as you'd expect. Uh, the Grasshopper and the Falcon are very grippy, like very grippy for a for a Daytona car, whereas the Lightning has zero grip. I mean, in just any sort of fine searing movement, that car is like breaking out, but not even in a drift. It's just kind of like shimmying. It's almost like um, like when you're in an airplane or something and you kind of feel like it sort of like <laughs> yaw and just like pitch in like weird ways, but it's not turning and it makes you sick to your stomach. That's kind of what driving the lightning is like in Daytona 2001. So um, you definitely have to find your own car, right? You have to find which one speaks to you. If you can drive the lightning, more power to you. And yeah, I think, I think it's something that you can can actually it's surprising that you can get the hang of you just kind of have to work at it and just find your space with the settings yeah absolutely and it's it's good that that slider is there because like you said it wasn't in the original game which is maybe an acceptance that the game wasn't handling as intended perhaps in that original japanese release but yeah with regards to the car choices i think it is one of those things if you're going to go back and play this game 
you should still test all of the different car, uh, the different cars, because they are just so strange. It almost makes it feel like a different game. One of the things that I was trialing was trying to drive each of the cars with different sensitivity settings as well, just to see what would kind of work there. And you can actually, you can create some kind of like almost like feels like different physics models almost in terms of like <laughs> if you choose if you choose the grasshopper. And then you kind of ramp the sensitivity sensitivity to its normal setting. It's like you're playing Ridge Racer without the ability to bring them back into the car out. Almost, you've just got that <laughs> really like kind of point and go type driving style. Um, the is it the lightning, isn't it? Is that what you say, Adam? The Ford the lightning is yeah, like the fast right. one that's like really wide. Yeah, like like most arcade games of that time, uh, the, the fast option is not. By far the most optimal. Um, maybe there are some people who are fantastic with it, but for me, I just the Hornet and the Grasshopper when I fancied something a bit different was where I kind of trended towards. But the um, the Lightning is interesting because it's got that effect you're seeing, Adam, where people can drift in this game are really good at it, and that's the kind of one of the the abilities, obviously, that you need to learn if you want to be really good at the game. But the way that that car drifts is that annoying way where it feels like you're just kind of losing <laughs> all your pace every single time that you end up sideways. So you, it's not like Outrun 2 or something where like you're holding that speed really hard to hold your speed with that car. And it always like, it's as if it's get, it gets pulled towards the inside of the apex as well sometimes, it almost feels like, just because the thing just doesn't want to go straight. So um, yeah, it's... It's a really interesting game because you can really kind of tailor it to what you want with that sensitivity slider to a certain extent. But there's definitely some unplayable, or to me it felt kind of unplayable settings in there. And I can imagine with the original Dreamcast pad as well, um, those yeah, default settings yeah. being an absolute nightmare. Because the, the analogue stick is just so stiff and then you've got like that kind of massive dead zone. So yep. I can just imagine how awkward it must have been to play that in the old, like, kind of on the actual console. Yeah, that really, like, stiff analog stick to move, but also a wobbly dead zone, almost yeah. like the N64 pad. It's, yeah, it's rough. Um, the Dreamcast controller is definitely my least favorite thing about that console. Um, it looks cool, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just hell to actually use. Um, but yeah, so, so the handling is one story with this game. Um, you know, I think that if they were able to maybe bring over the Daytona 2 assets uh, that that maybe helped or would have helped um, the game's perception. Uh, instead, this is kind of more of like a best of where the cars are all different and you have tracks from every release of the game that isn't Daytona 2. So you have the tracks from the Circuit Edition on the Saturn that um, AM... Five did whatever the Sega Rally Studio was AM3 or AM5, and uh, you have the original Daytona tracks, of course, the three originals. You also have uh, two, three new tracks. You have Circuit Pixie, Rin Rin Rink, and Mermaid Lake. And Circuit Pixie's weird because it's like it's like what Daytona 2 kind of does, where it goes for like in the Power Edition, they went for like the realistic like NASCAR track, which yeah. I never understood for this series because it just feels so out of place uh but mermaid lake and rin rin rink especially i like a lot um those are very neat tracks um with very wild designs especially like mermaid lake where like yeah. you just like the, the 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 downhill through the tunnel and then going back up is just so incredibly steep um with that track so they had some fun with it but i, th I still think ultimately like this is a very content light game unfortunately for the time yeah and i think maybe that's probably the reason why they decided to go this route instead of going with daytona 2 as well is because they didn't want to just do an arcade port they felt like they needed to do more yeah and uh the online functionality plays into that as well because this is one of the few dreamcast games where you could actually uh play against your friends online with multiplayer yeah and i think that that point about the, the multiplayer is really interesting because when i was doing a little bit of reading up on the game found out at one point it was referred to as like Daytona USA Network Edition or something like that and yeah and even like the UI of the game and the kind of menu design and stuff it kind of evokes that kind of early 2000s late 90s feels like a Microsoft of, uh, XP kind feel. of vibe yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so like I, I almost wonder if like the the concept of the game was like preparing 
the optimal version of this arcade classic for the online play facing kind of audience because like it does have a really strange UI that does kind of invoke those feelings even before I looked into that it still felt to me as if it's like yeah, I can imagine these type of menus being prevalent on some kind of primitive online modes um, and yeah maybe that is kind of where the original focus was as well to try and make a title like that. Just on the circuits as well, I actually quite like the um, the, the Pixie circuit, because, or Circuit Pixie. It kind of reminds me of like kind of Indianapolis Speedway as opposed to like Daytona or something, it's more of like a flat oval. So that was like actually, even though it's obviously a super basic track in the game, I actually quite enjoyed racing on that more than 377 Speedway because I didn't have to get, or 377 Speedway, because I didn't have to get really good at drifting. Because <laughs> you could just like, you could almost play it like NASCAR kind of thunder and that sort of thing, where it was more like, more accurate to stock car racing I suppose, as opposed to that kind of Sega Blue Sky Racer, so I actually quite like that one and, and Mermaid like fantastic too. Um, I think there's like a, is it like an Alpine kind of, themed track as well, I can't remember the name at all, um, oh, it's skipped my mind, it's in Championship Edition anyway, um, well there was the, was uh, really yeah, there's the National Park Speedway, and there's, uh, yeah, yeah National Park Speedway, yeah, one. that's the one, so, yeah. really enjoy National Park as well, and, and, uh, Mermaid Lake almost kind of has those vibes of, like, a scud race track or something, in terms of those crazy, like, kind of escalations, yeah. and, the way the track is so it's um yeah i think the the content list in and of itself is what we expect going back to these games but i can imagine at the time for full price people who've already played daytona at the arcades and championship edition on saturn and then buying the dreamcast version could be getting to that point that uh ridge racer fans ended up at after the kind of psp games where it's just like yep same content kind of packaged roughly yeah. the same way looks a bit better but like, where is the kind of the new novel content? Maybe that is where it, it falls short. If we're going to be a bit critical, we're also firmly in like the post Gran Turismo days here. And I remember yeah, yeah. when I wrote about Daytona 2 for GT Planet, I came across an interview with Toshiro Nagoshi in Edge magazine, where he said something like, "You know, we would like we're very aware of Gran Turismo. Like, I'm a fan of the game. Um, you know, we were kind of thinking about like." How that game handles physics and stuff like that as we you know developed ours but ultimately they're very two different kinds of games um yeah. and with the hornet there's this interesting thing uh in daytona 2 where you have the power edition and the battle on the edge uh, version where it's actually in the original battle on the edge and and it wasn't known about until a couple of years ago but you can actually access the hornet classic in that game and when you do, there's like a there's like a tuning menu. There's like a very basic tuning menu where you can like, um, you know, kind of change parameters of the car's handling. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, I'm just thinking like the Gran Turismo informed this. Um, so, you know, it's this game, especially the Dreamcast position at the time, kind of falling out of favor with the public. Uh, very much, you know kind of a last gasp for a game like this. I mean, the only one that Sega would really try after this is OutRun 2, at least the Japanese yeah. side of Sega. Um, but it's just, it, it's so weird, and whereas when I was a kid, I might have kind of hated how, like, off the wall it was. I find it delightful now. Like, have you seen the secret cars in this game at all? So, I'm, I'm aware of a, a few. Like, is Unicorn one of them? Um, there's a Unicorn. Yeah. There's some weird... So, the... The one that I think most people probably know about because it's, I think it's relatively easy to get are the the Piwak at Barketta and the Piwak at Barketta Super. So I'll send you a picture in Discord <laughs> right now. Yeah. And you can take a look at this thing. And what's crazy is what this actually is, is this is a real car that was oh, made wow. by uh, Messerschmitt, the German <laughs> like airplane manufacturer from like World War II and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and after the war, you know, in the state of Germany at their time, they're like, maybe we should make, like, cars instead. So they start making <laughs> these things, and uh, the Super is, like, bigger. It's, like, four wheels. That's the one you see now, but there's, like, the, um, I think the regular Piwak at Barquette is three wheels, and I've actually seen this car in real life, the Messerschmitt oh, KR200, what? and it's, it's tiny. I mean, you can't, like, <laughs> like two people, because you would sit 
if you're gonna fit two people in there they would they would sit like one in front of the other the driver in front of the passenger and it is just such a strange vehicle that also has to be like more dangerous than even riding a motorcycle because you can't you can't like propel yourself from this vehicle should any accident happen like you are trapped in there there's there's nothing you're really gonna be able to do so um anyway that's an aside but like the just the the vehicles in this game um the non-stock cars if you will uh the rule of the ninth is really weird it's like this classic like sort of f1 racer but almost looks like a jay leno tank car uh okay. and the driver is like this this stick alien with like this like hieroglyphic like he, he his head is like a, a slab of stone that has like hieroglyphics on it or something this game is just nuts <laughs> And yeah. I, I feel like people don't recognize that enough. <laughs> it, it does seem like the type of thing you'd expect from Genki at the same time, just knowing some of the, the crazy things you find in Tokyo Extreme Racer, for example, in terms of like the weird plot lines for the racers and that, and that sort of thing. So I can imagine... I, I actually want to see this stuff now. I, I'm surprised I didn't come across it by accident, but maybe it's because, like you say, people aren't acknowledging how... Um, how odd the game actually is, or people aren't playing it long enough to actually get those Well, cars. some of it's hard to get. Like, I think, um, okay. I think, unfortunately, the unicorn either requires you to do some sort of impossible task of beating everything in the game multiple times or something, or I think it involves playing online. Uh, so that right there kind of limits you. That might be the car, it might be the rule of the ninth, but, like, some of the cars definitely require, like, online... Uh, yeah. participation and uh right. even though you know today thankfully there have been some fans who have gotten that game back online and hosted their own servers and stuff which is really cool you know it's still yeah. obviously not the easiest experience to uh to try and get any sort of multiplayer daytona usa 2001 session going <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually uh, i'm just kind of checking out some of the unlockable cars like namely the uh the, the pb super and stuff and I can see there's like weird art at the end of the races as well when you complete them with these cars. There seems to be like strange splash screens, assumingly if you win in them. The um, the pit the pit animation is weird because there aren't like there's no crew taking the wheels off the car. There's like this alien spaceship comes down, picks up the car <laughs> in like a tractor beam, and then brings it up, and then when it comes back down again, it's fixed. Ah, uh, well, so it's it's very goofy. They were silly gooses with this one. Yeah, yeah good, good day to have a bit of fun, I suppose. I would just wish it was maybe a bit easier to unlock the things if they do have like, <laughs> network requirements and stuff, since it's like, vast majority of people probably won't be able to access those, sadly. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, that's most of the discussion. We want to kind of move it quickly with this show. There are a couple notes that I wanted to go through very quickly. Um, the first one is that God, I love like I love PR like video game PR people from this time, especially in America where they just didn't understand what they were marketing if it was a racing <laughs> game. And uh, there's this quote from when Sega of America announced the game, and uh, this was from Rich Briggs, who at the time was the product manager at the company, and he said, "Quote: Daytona USA Network Racing delivers the fastest sensation of speed in a NASCAR simulation ever." And just after everything we talked about, describing this game as a NASCAR <laughs> simulation is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that is definitely PR speak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely PR speak. Um, a handful or two rather interviews with Toshiro and Nagoshi that I wanted to bring up. Uh, just very quick points from both of them. So, in uh, the spring into the summer of two thousand one. Who's being interviewed, you know, maybe this was E3, maybe this was some sort of, like, you know, uh, press event. And already he was being asked questions about a potential successor to Daytona. And I think at this point, like, Super Monkey Ball was, had to be an arcade. So, like, Amusement Vision was already working on other things. And uh, IGN, was our IGN or GameSpot interviewed, I think it was GameSpot interviewed him, and said, um, they asked him, like, you know, would will you reevaluate? You know, will you go back to Daytona on another console? Especially because at this point it was it was known to everyone that Sega was multi-platform. Yeah. And he just said, "You can expect something in that direction." <laughs> and he uh, reportedly smiled. 
Uh, but then, like, a month later, being interviewed by Famitsu, uh, he, he told them when they asked a similar question, uh, I guess about the GameCube specifically, because Amusement Vision did, did Super Monkey Ball on the GameCube. He said, we've been asked that, but the, dream the last Dreamcast version had good network support, and that would be hard to improve upon. It would be pointless to just remake it for another platform. Nintendo really hasn't developed a realistic racing game, so I guess there's a need for one on GameCube, but we won't develop games solely based on these kinds of factors. If we decide to make another at Daytona, it will start out as an arcade game. So did they actually believe this was realistic then? Because, like, the, the comments I, seem to imply that... I don't know. I mean, it could be, like, he's not giving the deepest answer to American yeah. press. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I mean, it's possible that he's not giving the deepest answer because, like, Daytona maybe was more of an American-targeted game. So he didn't want to kill it, you know, talking to IGN or GameSpot over here because, you know, NASCAR and everything. But yeah. overseas, you know, he could maybe be a little bit more honest about, like, well, look. And even though it's a month later... Things were moving so fast at this time, you know, maybe, maybe those were the weeks where that decision was ultimately made. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to say, but yeah, I found yeah. that to be interesting. That is an interesting quote as well, because it, like, specifically right away, he makes reference to the good network support element as if that game was only built for that purpose, so it kind of ties back to that original name, doesn't it? Like, they wanted to make a good online racing environment first and foremost definitely seems to be a kind of recurring theme from pre-release to the, um, like you were saying, the UI and stuff, kind of invoking that sort of early 2000s multiplayer. Yeah. Or late 90s. Yeah, moving on, I feel very stupid for never realizing that the announcer in this game is the same announcer as Super Monkey Ball. Uh, Brian Matt Oh, wow. Ooh. I did not realize it's that. It's so obvious. <laughs> like, I don't know how it yeah, never it hit me before. Yeah, it makes sense isn't it? So, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> same team. Uh, they yeah. say, like, the same thing. Although I like how in the, in the car select or the track select, like, his voice is deeper for some reason. Like, he's like, 3-7 Speedway. But then when, you know, the, the game is loading, he goes, race start! <laughs> you know, me just doing the uh, Super Monkey Ball guy impression. Uh, Very good as well. Yeah, actually. I tried. <laughs> and the last thing, the last thing I wanted to bring up here actually has more to do with uh, F Zero GX, which, which would be Amusement Vision's next project after uh, Super Monkey Ball for the GameCube. But um, he was interviewed recently about that game because it just turned 20 years old, and he had told Video Games Chronicle that it was a very nostalgic game title for him. And uh, that when I was when I learned how to create a high quality game to satisfy a fan base, that was the moment that he learned how to do that. Uh, and he learned a lot. And if there was a chance, uh, he said, I wouldn't mind working on it again. And I think I don't know. I just thought that was cool to mention, just because like obviously it's F Zero, um, yeah, not Daytona. But like even though the guy has not made a racing game in 20 years, uh, he still holds those memories in high regard and. Uh, yeah, if uh, Shigeru Miyamoto or I don't know who sh who calls the shots with F Zero anymore. I mean, it seems like nobody, right? But whoever it would be at the, uh, the Nintendo, uh, maybe get him on the phone. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think like if if you kind of infer some meaning from the kind of other quote that was about the Dreamcast version having good support, that sort of thing, talking about Nintendo not having a realistic racing game but not needing one. It does seem as if maybe Sega have the same, or rather the kind of key figureheads at Sega at the time, had the same type of approach that Miyamoto has as well with F-Zero, where it's like, we won't make this game unless we have a very specific reason to do it, or a yeah, very a very a specific point. idea in mind for, for what we would do with it, because that, reading between the lines, that's what it kind of seems to suggest from me, and in fairness, obviously there was that time where Sega were firing out like driving and racing games, all, all kinds of different types of ones, even things like Crazy Taxi and stuff that were a bit more out there. But there, there has been that like complete reluctance from them to revisit that past, and uh, maybe that's still kind of true in a way where they, they can revive it for the purposes of like including it in Yakuza and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, maybe it's almost like a tribute in some ways, I guess, in some way. Right. But. Um, 
but like they maybe don't see the benefit in actually trying to revive the series in an actual kind of meaningful way, even, even back then, talking about like kind of the GameCube era and yeah. reflection for F-Zero. Well, you know, looking at what Sega did at the time, they really seem to be focused on this idea of like putting these games on the platforms that they felt like sort of embodied what the games were about and the types of people who would play them. So um, Xbox got Jet Set Radio Future and Sega GT and Panzer Dragoon. It got kind of the darker, you know, more sort of cutting edge kind of uh, experiences, artistic experiences, and also like Sega GT being a simulation. Probably very easy to sell to Microsoft because they needed something to go up against Gran Turismo. And then like GameCube got, you know, the not to be disparaging, but the quote-unquote baby games, right? I mean, that's yeah, where they also yeah. put, like, Billy Hatcher, all the Sonic <laughs> games, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then PlayStation got, like, the fighting games and, like, the core, like, the core of, like, the AM2 kind of um, arcade Sega, like, went to PS2. Um, so, yeah, they, they were trying to feel things out, um, and... There's a, you, you, you definitely make a good point with that, that, you know, this was a time where games like Daytona were kind of falling in favor, right? So, yeah. um, you know, if we're going to bring it back, it's, it's got to compete with something like Gran Turismo. And if it can't, well, then maybe we just make Sega GT instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we know, how, we know how that turned out, at least at first attempt. Right. Um, right. there's just one other thing I wanted to mention about this game that I found out and it might be incorrect, but I did have a source attached to it. But it was interesting to read, of course, and see that this game was published by Hasbro Interactive um, in the US and, and Infograms um, in PAL regions. But apparently that came about because Sega didn't have an, like, an active license for Daytona or NASCAR or something at the time, but Hasbro did because it published the NASCAR games. So apparently that's how that came about, that they ended up publishing that game because they had the license that they, they could give to Sega to make the game. I just thought it was a pretty interesting tidbit, if it is true. Yeah, what's weird about this is that a similar thing is kind of playing out now if you consider, I mean, they're not licensing Daytona for Yakuza, right? But yeah. Um, so back then, Daytona USA 2 came out a year before this one. That had the Daytona license, and Sega doesn't yep. credit Hasbro there. But then they have to in this game. I'm wondering if the arcade versus home console rights are different. Uh, because if you look at the situation now, Sega Amusement, which makes championship usa which no one really likes they have the license and they're they're still playing out i think updates to that game for arcade yeah. operators uh but apparently that license does not extend to you know the version of daytona 2 that's going in yakuza i also kind of have the sense that those two sides of the company have literally absolutely yeah. nothing to do with each other because amusements in the uk i think and yeah. RGG Studios, obviously, in Japan, so... There's other evidence that corroborates yeah. that as well, because Sega Rally 3 had the WRC license, and yep. Revo yep. did not. So, a similar scenario, I suppose, there. Those yeah. games were worked on in tandem, for as much as we know. We'll get a good friend Paul to confirm. <laughs> um, and it didn't seem as if it was either a, it was ever a possibility that that stuff would come over into the home release. So, yeah, there must be... Must be our good old friend licensing fun. You know, mm. Playing a bit yep. there licensing fun yeah so uh that that's pretty much the discussion on daytona 2001 um i feel bad because I, it wasn't the intention to kind of shoehorn this aspect of the discussion but we are kind of <laughs> pressed for time today so uh we're switching gears now completely to the the total other end of the racing spectrum yes
so when this episode is publishing uh, will be the day that the Forza Motorsport uh, preview embargo breaks. And I was fortunate enough to, two weeks ago as of the time of it going live, uh, go to New York, uh, play the game, um, also be able to sample the game at home. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting product for them. So um, the article that I wrote on the game will go live at the drive, which I think I've explained yet is is where I work now. So that happened since the last episode we did. Um, so yes, the drive is a cool place. Uh, go check out the story. But um, yeah, this preview consisted of like the first the first sort of career mode championship, where you're going to uh, one of the new fictional tracks, Grand Oak Raceway, and then Yugello, and then uh, Kailami. And you're driving oh, like you have a choice of. Uh, the last gen Mustang or Civic or WRX SCI. Um, and that's really all there was to the preview. So it's like I wasn't able to sample like a, a vast variety of cars or like many more tracks, but it gives you a good enough loop uh, or a good enough idea of the loop that they're going for with the career mode in this game, which is that like yeah. rather than doing the car collection thing, um, they're really about like you get a car from the start to the end of a championship uh, in between races um, through the XP that you gain through practice, because that's a big component in this game, um, you're able to improve the car. And so like the car that you end the championship with in all likelihood is going to be faster than the one that you started with it with as well. And like the same is true of your competitors. Um, and each time you kind of do a race and you upgrade the car, because you don't have access to all of the upgrades off the bat, yeah. you know, it's it's a different experience, right? In Forza, we do this thing where, like, you know, especially in Forza Horizon, you buy a car with the endless money that you have, and then you yeah. just you you just shoot, like, 300,000 credits at it to take it to the top of whatever class you're competing in. And then you never think about it again. Uh, in this game, it, it's not like that. I mean... You might only be able to buy brakes and you know, after the first round, but you will definitely feel what those brakes are contributing to the car immediately in the next race. And then maybe the race after that, like you got, you know, a turbo upgrade or you got exhaust or you were able to get tires and like you, you can tell. And I think it's kind of like a, an admirable approach, especially in, in this day and age where racing games are just kind of becoming... You, 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 you either have, like, you know, the, the hardcore sims, like your your iRacings and your sale courses, or the collect-a-thons, right? And there's, like, nothing in between. So, um, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to bring that up, and also if you have any questions, Brandon, in the short time that we have. No, I mean, the, 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 that alone has made me more interested, because I don't think Forza Motorsport has had an actual gameplay loop for at least, like, three iterations <laughs> now. Um... I know they had the Drivers' Cup or whatever it was in 7 and just kind of pre-packaging -package, the game slightly differently but this, the same kind of core fundamentals were there in terms of just you can drive as many cars as you want and the game obviously throws a lot at you, that sort of thing. But actually hearing that the kind of, it's, it's called the Builders' Cup in the game isn't it if I recall? Yeah, yeah, yeah Builders' so like, Cup. Framing the entire game around that is a really bold choice to be honest and one I didn't really expect to see because we even see through the last Gran Turismo, there's a reluctance to really try and put like a linear progression path in racing games now. So that idea of taking a car at the start and trying to basically build it into a machine that can still compete by the end of the season, it's a pretty cool gamification on how real life series is go, like Formula One, where a car that starts the season isn't what's there at the very end. Yeah, so yeah. I quite like that idea of like taking those type of things we're used to and car PGs for lack of a better term in terms of upgrading our cars and that sort of thing but rather than just making it a bit of an open house tying it to like XP levels and and kind of gearing you towards certain parts and that sort of thing the thing is actually it's a really it's a really cool idea um obviously you've just had a kind of touch of it so far Adam but is there any evidence there to say like you, you might get cool kind of pink slip light races where some people have cooler <laughs> parts you can't get in the shop a little bit of racing lagoon in there like i mean i i like that wish. might be possible <laughs> yeah that would be cool there's no indication you know having not played the full game of course it's always impossible to say right um, yeah but uh i i am not expecting things like that um 
Yeah. What I will say is that Microsoft, I I interviewed Chris Asaki, which was an absolute pleasure. I got to speak to Dan Greenwald as well. So it was meeting those guys for the first time and they are fantastic. Uh, And the thing that, that Chris really made clear to me was that they, they are looking at this game like a live service. And, and Mm. honestly, that, that's great. Like we were having a conversation about how like live service is like a dirty word and like other genres and things like that. But like, for a game like Forza or Gran Turismo, it just makes so much sense. I mean, you know, iRacing has existed on that basis for 20 years now, uh, yeah. close to it, right? So um, to just take a game, especially with the way that like hardware is advancing and technology is advancing, you know, there's not going to be a new Xbox console in two years that's going to wipe the floor with the Series X. With how much everything costs right now, with like you know, just the sheer cooling and, like, energy expense of, of that system alone. Like, it, yes, it's possible, but, you know, the RTX 3090 or your 4090 costs, like, $2,000. So, you know, you do yeah. the math. Um, so it's like, look, this is the system. This is the best game that we can make on the system. This is the best simulation experience that we can make. Why not just support that over time with more cars, more tracks? Uh, he said that they have what... He thinks people would find this a surprising level of post-launch support. Right. Uh, the tracks are all going to be free. It seems like the vast majority of the car packs are going to be free. Um, That's so a yeah. Surprise. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they kind of are following the Horizon model, I think. Where like I don't know if they're going to work it into you know the um, was in Horizon the Forza Dawn, Dawn thing where like they're in the game yeah. and they have to play a lot to get them. Yeah. Because uh, Horizon only really went back to the paid car packs recently. It wasn't, they weren't doing yeah. it for most of Horizon 5, so. I think it's um, a lot of legacy content as well, isn't it, in the car packs that you get as opposed to also true. cars as well, yeah, so. Yeah, that's also true. But I think I think the idea here is they don't want to split the player base. So, like, with the, yeah. with the tracks, the tracks seem like they're just all going to be free, um, which is which is the right option to take, I think. And the cool thing is that, like, as those things are released, as the content's released, the Builder's Cup is going to be updated with new content. Um, So the single-player side of the game is not going to falter. You know, we see a lot of games where, like, they add DLC, but the DLC has never worked back into the single-player, and it's really only usable online. Um, That's not going to be an issue here from the way they're talking. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I... A lot of us have had love-hate relationships with uh, the Forza franchise, particularly the motorsport side, over the years. Uh, Forza 3 and 4 were fantastic on the Xbox 360, and like I still love the first game. Um, so yeah, it's this is the first time they've taken a long break to really go back and yeah. look at these things. Go back and look at the physics, and the physics feel different, you know, I... I don't think it's going to be like a monumental change if you've played like Forza Motorsport 7 you're not going to be like this feels like it's from a different developer or something but like yeah. they do not feel like the same game and that's that's a good sign and 7 or uh, the new one rather is definitely more it, it, it doesn't feel like the same game in the sense that it's harder like the it's it's not as uh, you know the dirty word that we that we like to use in this in this genre sim Katie, if you will mm-hmm. um so yeah, all all good signs, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to to see what comes of the game, uh, especially in the months following release. Yeah, exactly, because I think like if we're being honest, looking at isolating out Horizon for the sake of the discussion, Gran Turismo has had a good level of support post-launch. Gran Turismo Seven, obviously, there's been some fantastic cars added few cars every month, maybe a track if you're lucky. But it doesn't really constitute the term live service support in my opinion. It's it's polyphony's interpretation of what that looks like, as a lot of <laughs> things are in Gran Turismo, but it's worlds apart from what other actual live services games are able to provide. I, mean, I don't think polyphony's ever referred to it as a live service game, so it's a bit of a redundant point I suppose for me, but um, you look at what Forza Horizon has managed to accomplish in terms of player retention and growing interest, because even people who are very ambivalent about the series now, of which there are quite a lot of people who are racing game fans specifically are now feeling, will still go back in there to get that weird Mexican hatchback that's been added that you right. get through yeah. Forza Phone. 
and trying to get those unicorn cards that come back every so often, trying out the new playground games, that sort of thing. And I think like for a simulation based closed circuit racer, there's definitely learnings that turn 10 will, by sounds of it, seemingly have taken from that about how do we replicate this but not make it a toxic way, because I think it's it'll be striking that balance that will either interest people or really put them off of it. The fact that they're committing to updating the single player component is a huge, huge boon for me because the the kind of the more refined scope you've described, Adam, in terms of what the purpose of the, the single player is makes me interested in that and it could get to a point where you beat all the main content and if you're not an online racer, you're just like, ah, that's a shame. But if to keep adding that stuff in, it could get really interesting. And the Builder's Cup as a concept is especially interesting as well because technically speaking there's like an infinite amount of possibilities in terms of like the types of scenario championships you can build, the kind of the limitations you can put in place for cars that are being built, the... I mean you could even have fun stuff where rather than upgrading parts you get parts removed as you go along and kind of do it in an inverse way so that the cars actually get more difficult to drive as you go through the tracks and that sort of thing so there's a lot of kind of cool things they can do with that sort of concept. It will just be interesting, obviously I've not played it myself, to see how that actually looks um, in, in the, the main game, but it definitely sounds positive. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way that it's going to go, I, I should have access to the review build in about a month. You know, at that point nice. we're like right right up to the launch of the game, so we'll have more to say then. Uh, obviously we'll have you know pretty much everything to say then. Uh, as we wind this show down, the one thing that I will mention that Time Extend fans will appreciate is that uh, I was chatting with Dan Greenwald. We were just talking about like old racing games, and he was like, what was that one? The Lamar game? It was on like the PlayStation. The I was like, Test Drive Lamar. He's like, yeah, it was a great game. I was like, yeah, they were doing like weather and, and day-night change and stuff back then. And yeah, he's... Oh. Yeah. It must have been so cool meeting him because like he's one of the, the stalwarts of the the industry hasn't he like, been around in... forever yeah i mean you know before before um forza he was working on pgr yeah uh you know so we talked a little bit about that as well um but yeah just really cool guy he's kind of faded into the background just a little bit like he's obviously still present but you know usually it's like on the forza monthlies and stuff it's chris which is yeah, you know chris, chris is, is great too yeah. but i like that i like that dan's still around and and they're both they're both around because uh yeah they're both cool guys yeah, it's kind of strange to think that maybe that is the kind of the sunsetting period almost kicking in of the the, pa- the passing the t- of the torch. Yeah. Of the <laughs> it's just weird to think that because it's always been Dan and Kaz really is the, the yeah, kind of pioneers of this sort of thing. So. I don't think we ever we ever had that moment of them meeting or shaking hands or posing or. Don't think that's so. a shame. No. That's a real shame. We we'll no. just have to get them both on the pod and they can, <laughs> they can maybe once talk they, out. maybe once they both retire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I mean that must have been fantastic <laughs> meeting Dan and just the Turn Ten guys in general. Because let's be honest, people have been wondering what's been going on with that Forza Motorsport game. What the objective of it even is? Is it more of the same, which people really didn't want? Is it trying to redefine some elements of the series? And it's um, by the sounds of it, from the initial previews at least, it, it seems to be forging that path. So it, it could be something to look forward to. Where previously I was bit unearthed to tell the truth and yeah. yeah i think that's that's some interesting positive comments it is if nothing else it's different right and i think that's what everybody really wanted from this franchise is to just just try something new and they're yeah. they're trying something that's admittedly a little experimental with the career mode so I'm, yeah uh, absolutely but definitely it's not it's not an easy thing to do a career mode right so no it is not yeah so that's whew, we covered a lot this show. We wanted to talk about the GT movie too, but we, we might we might do that like we might do that in the stream or something down. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would be fun. Um, yeah, thank you. We know this episode was a long time coming, but I think I think this one was worth the wait. Ultimately, at least I hope it was. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, if the but next we, one's we tied going in to... with the Sega Racing Classic too. Getting on right, oh. right. I can't <laughs> promise the next one will be like this, but. Um, But yeah, as always, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Yeah, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening, guys.